Welcome one and all to Umami Manga. I'm Petter and this is James. Hey! And today we're talking about volume 19 of To Your Eternity. This is our first podcast episode of 2024, so Happy New Year! Happy New Year! And here's to the future, wink wink. <laughs> Summary real quick for this volume. Our characters at Minamoto Junior High uh, had to explain what happened at the school and during the previous volume. Yuki keeps on fighting for coexistence and mutual understanding between humans and knockers. Mm-hmm. Knockers continue to live within humans, blending in with society uh, even after the previous volume's climax. Fushi is faced with the dilemma of whether or not to inherit the Man in Black's powers. Yuki confesses to Mizuha, but is rejected. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We are told the story of Nono the Knocker. Yeah. Mizuha moves overseas with the Guardians. The Beholder's dream comes true, as he essentially ceases to exist. Yuki dies of old age 60 years later. And finally, the future arc begins. Or it's set up, at the very least, at the very end of the book. Yeah, uh, (laughs) it may not seem like it, like much happened in terms of maybe the the, the arc's plot. Because to be honest, the arc kind of ended in the previous volume. Right, it felt that way, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I really like this volume. I think that there is a lot established and a lot of things to to make you think. And some reveals that we've been kind of speculating about for for years, or maybe maybe reveal I should say when it comes to Beholder. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm excited to talk about all that. And honestly, I feel like the goofiness and the the almost warm vibes that were in this volume almost make it one of my favorite volumes in the series for just being a good feeling volume in a series that is not always like that. You know, absolutely. I I feel similarly. Actually, this is probably one of my favorite volumes in a while, and that's still like I, I still have really been enjoying this modern day arc. So mm-hmm. like it's saying a lot. Like it, it's it's a fantastic volume. I think, and I thought this volume. I mean, to me at least, it was partially very much what what I had expected, while at the same time. Not what I had expected, kind of, uh, in in that. Well, I, as you said, like there there are some things that we've been talking about for many volumes now. Mm-hmm. We hadn't anticipated the brief little time skip of three or four years that we saw in this volume, for example, mm-hmm. as well as the idea that Satoru or the Beholder would attempt to pass his role on to Fushi. Like we had seen all of that coming, so it was right. nice to to eventually see all all these things. But what I was not expecting was for the modern day arc or whatever to actually completely end in this volume. Ah. I thought we had, I don't know, a, a, at least a handful of more volumes on our hands set in like a modern day. I expected like after this three or four year time skip, we would get another actually full arc with, I don't know, five or six books. Oh, okay. That, 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 that's the impression I was under. Uh, so for us to actually move on to a completely different time age mm-hmm. uh, by the end of the volume uh, was not something that I had seen coming. Uh, but it's something that still excites me 
very much. So yeah, I'm I'm super hyped for for the future of the series. I guess going off of that, I had wanted to see maybe a little bit more of you know the middle school, high school kids grown up at 18 year olds or you see where their careers went but mm. we really kind of fast forward through all that I mean, we got enough and i'm glad we get and again i said this is one of my favorite volumes so uh-huh. it, the pacing was fast but also able to process it all and enjoy it right but i did kind of expect us to see these people's lives uh in their into their adults just a little bit um Maybe I wasn't expecting a six-volume thing, although I, I should have since that's been the pattern. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. For some reason, I thought we'd see a little bit more. Uh, but no, nah, here we are. We're just going straight into the future. We are, which is so exciting because, I mean, we have been talking about that all, also, I believe, for quite a while. The idea of... Particularly you. Po- possibly, yeah. I mean, we both, <laughs> I think we both like agreed that, yeah, that'd be great. But I think you were the mm. one who brought it up. That's very possible. So yeah, now it's finally happening, or well, we're it's just about to <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's super super exciting, <laughs> and I guess we'll see just how how sci-fi it's going to turn. But, but yeah, it'll yeah. be very fun. Anyway, is there anything else before we move into the character discussions? No, I'm I'm just ready to talk about it. Oh yeah. So starting with Fushi, of course, it's a huge burden to replace the guy in black as mm-hmm. he kind of deals with that dilemma uh, for a pretty big portion of this book. Uh, Save so I... the <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. But I, I love that. Like, I mean, I mean, first of all, I understand that he feels so overwhelmed and, and like, not knowing whether to do it or not. Like, mm-hmm. I totally understand that, first of all. But, but for him to actually, like, the first thing he does after waking up, you know, after he, he kind of lost consciousness or whatever after that discussion with Satoru, the first thing he does is to ask his friends for help. He confided in them and allowed them to help him. Like, we've, he's finally learned this lesson. And, it's, and like, this was the perfect kind of way for, I think, the story to show us that, that, that Fushi has mm-hmm. really learned it, and like, to let his friends who love him be there for him because they want to. Uh, and, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just beautiful to actually see him put that wisdom into into action now kind of yes yes gone are the days of him just running off by himself really i mean maybe we'll get it again i don't know but i I would be disappointed kind of if he would revert back to that i would be too Mm. i would be too uh but i i you know i never say never i guess right but it does (laughs) feel like he did learn that he is supposed to rely on his friends or he can rely on them and talk Uh with them about these things and they can give them their advice, their opinions, and they're all differing. And sometimes they change. You know, at one point they were, <laughs> yeah. they were saying, no, you shouldn't do this. And then, and then Bon and some other people started saying they should, and some people uh-huh. flip-flopped. And yeah. it, it's, it's, it, it was quite a, a real discussion that they were having. It really uh, was. And I think that really, really helped him in the end. Right, precisely. And I guess just a little side thing on that. I love how, as you said, the realness of that discussion and since we know these characters and we have known these characters for such a long time at this point, it it was so fun to see them debating the way they did and to see mm-hmm. which sides each of the characters would take. Like, it, it made sense and it was just fun to see it play out as it did. Yeah. Ultimately, though, Fuji did decide to not take the Beholder's power, or at least that whole big part of the power or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he essentially chose to trust the Knockers. Yeah. 
It's a choice that he made. Precisely. Which is also, I think, a huge... Or, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty huge thing, that choice. Yeah, I agree. Um, and understanding that he does have a choice in this matter. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he felt so anxious about it. And I don't know if we completely understood what his anxiety about it was, per se. Unless you feel like you have a pretty good idea. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure what was his apprehensions because he did say that it, it would make sense for me to take the powers but i just feel a little off about it or i feel a little anxious about it right i think or at least the way i saw it is that it would make him more distant from the world kind of in the mm. same way that the beholder always was or at least before mm. he became satoru yeah he did have that kind of vision or imaginary uh, thought process that, that we saw about that right and how i think f- since fushi really is from this world i don't i think for him to actually to, to distance himself in that kind of way i think that that's it's very reasonable to fear that in order to mm-hmm. to feel worried about that if, if that is the way but I, I i think that's likely the way he he thought about it yeah i think a side thing could also be that as as a lot of kids kind of i'm not saying everyone but i think it's rather common that that kids sometimes try to not become like their parents ah uh, uh-huh then sometimes they end up that way anyway even though they tried not to but uh and i i well, i guess we'll see if that's something that this story will deal with later on but mm-hmm. right now it, i i could see that as as like a little side thing as well that fushi actively is trying to not become like the beholder because of something kind of similar to that that's an excellent point i do like that <laughs> but who knows maybe by the end of the story he will become exactly that so <laughs> well, that's what i was gonna that's what i was gonna ask is mm-hmm. do you think he could still reach those powers in the end right that is a good question is that is that still in game for us well i, I say still but it's more so my thought process but that he would end up becoming like that and i guess that was technically what the beholder was trying to get him to to be exactly in the end and i don't know i personally i think it it should still be possible uh that he's able to to gain that i mean he's been able to come so far up until this point Mm -hmm. um it's just now he doesn't have the the crutch of the beholder next to him right guiding him in that way so it, it certainly is possible especially if whatever happens in the future <laughs> turns out to be not so great i i'm not saying mm-hmm. that's the case but um it's just we just don't know where where the story is gonna go from here and what powers that would require fushi to have true but yeah personally i think yeah he he will get them eventually and but but still not be the beholder, still be a a being that has memories and emotions and and attachments to the to the world that he is supposedly the the ruler the mm-hmm. the manager caretaker of. Right, and actually, I I think I I like that, and I think it would make sense, and I think it could work for the reason that Fushi is from this world. He he was right born and raised in this world and has natural attachments to it unlike the beholder who never had mm-hmm. those attachments because he 
couldn't really, or because he was something much bigger from the start. Uh, so I think, I like hypothetically, or like a, a what if scenario, like if Fushi had taken those powers in this volume, mm-hmm. I think there's a decent chance that he would have remained more or less the same anyway, because I think those attachments that he has are so strong mm-hmm. that he he could keep on living the way he does even with those godlike powers. Or at least I like to think so. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, only question is, I guess, how would he get those powers now that the Beholder has gone? But I guess... Well, that's the thing. It It's always been a process, right? Like, he just... I don't know if he stumbles upon it or he just expands his powers. But, of course, Beholder has been there kind of guiding him or coaxing him into trying something out uh but i do think experience is the best teacher in this situation Mm -hmm. and i think in the future arc if what my prediction what predictions huh if what i'm saying does come true whatever happens in the future arc has to basically prompt him or persuade him to expand his powers in some way right yeah i wonder if it is like that that he can learn it through experience or or through training or whatever or if it's like, you know, at the start of the modern arc where he was given the power to, to like reconnect to, to the world from the Beholder, like a power that he probably wouldn't have been able to learn in it, like spontaneously, oh. but something that he was actually given by the Beholder. And so I wonder if these powers were those types of powers, in which case he maybe he can't ever get them. Well, I mean, that's a case. Yeah, he can't get them. And I, I think initially that that's how I how I read them, or that's how I read it initially. But now, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't really know, uh, so it really could go either way. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like if you suddenly stop his progression in becoming more like the Beholder, uh, where does he go from here? I guess he can still obviously improve emotionally, mm. but I don't know. It feels like the there should be more to his his progression as a immortal being, but that's just me. And and I and I'm okay with whatever she does decides to do. Of course, it's just I mm. feel like that would be the the route that we would be taking. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. right. And I mean, I, ultimately, I do also think that would be exciting to see him grow in that way. I don't know. Hypothetically, what, like even if it would be one of those types of powers that would have to be handed over. Maybe he can still get get that through some other means, maybe from one of the other ones that was like the Beholder from the at the beginning of time or whatever. I guess, but none of them seem to be conscience or or like they they obviously were interacting with each other, but hmm. didn't seem that they were, I guess, interacting with their environments and creations the same way the hmm. Beholder was. But I guess you know, never say never. Well, the Beholder was unsure. Of whether they did similar things or not, I I, I believe there was a. Oh, he said brief, he was unsure. I th- I think there was a brief little comment like that where he didn't know, I guess about the rest of them, kind of. Oh yeah, he says, um, I did not know from where this feeling came, or whether I was the only one experiencing it. But then he says, reflecting on it now, I think I must have been the only greedy one. Oh yeah. So. True. That's true. He does say that right right after. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But either way, uh, it is still a possibility that that could be, maybe one of those beings could 
play a factor in at all. Could be, could be. But uh, I think it's very interesting to, before we, I guess, go into Satoru and, and his story, just mm. the comparison between Fushi and the Beholder in that the Beholder was an immortal being that wanted his immortality to end eventually. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fushi wants immortality for all people, really. Right. And so it, it's it's a it's an interesting mindset, and it kind of kind of to me as someone who who you know was raised in in religion, it, it does kind of point my mind towards people's relationship with their deities. And a lot of these deities are immortal beings. That you know create our world, or, or in one in one in one sense or another, but they're creating these mortal beings that that die, and whatnot, mm. um, and yearn for that immortality. So it, it's an interesting deep dive into the mindset of a an immortal being being and the mortal beings and what we desire. Yeah, you know, like it, anyway, just just an interesting mm. thought, and maybe maybe I didn't really put it well into words there but i just think it's in, it's an interesting idea to give reason to the basically the god of this world creating the world right. why he made it the way he did um mm. and then having fushi uh kind of changing that idea almost or or t- taking it into his own into his own hands ho- however he would like it precisely right because they they definitely have a bit of a or at least in this volume as they are talking about it they they do seem to come from different angles and like they have sort of con- contrasting opinions on how the world should be sort of yeah but i wonder if that's another thing that's going to change in fushi if he's going to eventually end up with a mindset that's more similar to the beholders mm. as the story progresses that's something i definitely could see yeah, may- maybe you know he kind of comes to understand the the beauty in death, <laughs> right? Like the beauty in the imperfection of the world, kind of. Uh huh. Although I will say that this is maybe a little bit generic, you know, like in in, in that how many times we've had that kind of a story. Not that it's a bad uh mm. lesson to learn or things like that, but it could be kind of interesting for Fushi to. Make the whole world immortal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I I think that could be definitely exciting too. <laughs> not 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 gonna happen in our lifetime, of course. <laughs> not lifetime. Well, I, mean, I guess if we if we're talking like scientifically speaking, somehow uh-huh. making us immortal. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless, uh, it, it's not something in in our reality. But I think it'd be kind of fun to see that that future in some way. True, true. <laughs> but Fushi did finally name the horse. Yeah. That has that the one that has pure inspire in it. And he named it Mayran, Mayran. Mm-hmm. However it's supposed to be pronounced. And I guess coincidentally it just has the same ending as Pioran. Yeah. That's I, I well yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think there was too much more with that, but it is something we've been talking about, so it's it is nice that he did finally right. give the horse a name. 
It was kind of funny. He was going through foods. Like, <laughs> I can only name so many white foods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to, he, he tried to stick with ramen. Yeah. But Aiko was like, nah, nope, <laughs> come on. Poor horse. Don't do that. <laughs> Gotta always listen to Aiko. Yeah, she knows. She knows what's best. She knows best, yeah. <laughs> Speaking about Fushi, he kind of starts thinking about what happiness truly is be because the uh, the beholder kind of gives him, or Satoru, I should say, gives him a couple options of what his his end game, his happiness could, could be. Yeah. I'm not sure how he'll get that. And so he kind of goes around talking to his friends at how they get their happiness. Mm -hmm. And I just like how he comes to learn so many different ways people find happiness. Right. I love that. <laughs> and in a way, I think he learns that I got to find my own happiness and, and what that entails. Right. Because it can come from so many different sources and it can be something you obtain for yourself or it can be something you get from others. Like it, there's like uh -huh. so many ways. And I love, I also really, really enjoyed seeing him kind of understand just how different it really can be. Right, right. Yeah, and there's also this idea that nothing will ever feel like it's enough. Right. Even, even a, it, like I was saying earlier, even for us beings who would, would love to be immortal, like the immortal being wanted to experience mortality. You know? Exactly, it's, right. <laughs> it's kind of a, a grass is always greener type situation. It, can we ever be fully, truly satisfied? Mm -hmm. And I, maybe part of life is kind of accepting that, <laughs> that maybe we can't fully, completely uh, be satisfied unless we accept our current circumstances, Yeah, I suppose. Right. And I think that definitely is a message that this volume is sending. Yeah. And I like it a lot. But then we had the 60-year time skip in this volume. Mm-hmm. And shortly after the 60-year time skip, we had a, I guess, a couple hundred year Who knows? time skip, whatever it is. Yeah. Could, could be several hundred or maybe even several thousand years. Who, who really knows? It was only two um, days. Only two days. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. A lot happened. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm assuming that the doll that's waking up, looking at the massive shining triangle in the sky, I'm assuming that is Fushi, right? Like, that's probably it, right? Right? That's that's what I would assume too. And is that doll the one that he saw when he was traveling with Bon? I think so. I was thinking of of March. Yeah. Uh it is it is the one that or yeah, yeah, I, I also thought it was. I, I guess I didn't I didn't actually go double to double check, but I feel like it's gotta be that doll. Like and like yeah. he, he because he would be able to take that shape. Except it's interesting that he's actually controlling an inanimate object which i don't think we've ever seen him do before like actually taking the shape of it and being able to have a conscience in something that never oh, had a conscience yeah. you know we did we did see the beholder satoru make a paper airplane creature precisely that was inanimate um but became alive at least temporarily so right. yeah Maybe because of that, Fushi eventually realized his potential in, in be, to be able to create that as well? I mean, I could see that, except this doll would... I mean, and, and I, guess, I guess he could have given this doll, like, 
lungs and a mouth and things like i guess he could have done that. <laughs> well i mean he doesn't well maybe he does need that he would die but then he just awaken again so or so maybe he did give it some sort of way to breathe to live i don't know <laughs> but it's clear that to me if this is him he's taken over an inanimate object yeah um in some in some way mm-hmm. so that's cool to see hopefully we'll get more information on exactly how that works next volume yeah not not really much to go off of there other than uh-huh just he's a doll <laughs> yes but anything else on fushi no that's it then let us move on to satoru and i'm choosing to just refer to him as satoru uh right now yeah because well for one obviously he did fully become satoru in this volume mm-hmm. but also I, f- I felt like even before like the full on um becoming satoru i i feel like he even like in this volume before he really crossed over that he was becoming far more satoru than than his previous self right and he even makes a comment about that like how he act he's a- he's acting in ways that his old self would never do kind of mm-hmm. um so i think that's that's very fun to see it's very nice Yes, I I agree that, yeah, Satoru is the way to go. And honestly, I had meant to kept calling him Satoru, but for some reason, I felt like I should had had to keep clarifying. I, I don't know. <laughs> right, no, but that, the that's readers fair. should know. <laughs> they should, um, and I, I guess sometimes I may I mean I may also be calling him Beholder or the Man in Black or whatever. But but yeah, um, I think it's yeah Satoru is at this point mostly who he is. But yeah, like as we said, like. A lot of the things that we've talked about regarding this guy, about him ultimately preparing Fushi to replace him, and uh, mm-hmm. like in order to like for him to get the freedom that he wanted by by ceasing to exist, mm-hmm. like it all came to be here, and we got to learn his backstory. That's pretty cool. It's so cool, yeah, that he was one of several omnipotent en- entities that have existed since the beginning of. I guess everything seemingly, mm-hmm. uh, but that omnipotence eventually got dull. So he created the world that we know, making an imperfect world, and like that was his. I, I guess this that was his idea of of creating a world where positive feelings like love and joy could prosper. Like to him, that was perfect, and to me, or when I read that, it reminded me of a line from an Oasis song. Uh, I don't know if you've heard a, a, a song called Little by Little by Oasis. Mm, not sure. Either way, there's a line there that goes, true perfection has to be imperfect. And I've always really liked that line because, well, I, I think there's some truth to it. And I think Satoru's point about life is along the same lines as that. Like, in a world without bad things, we wouldn't really be able to appreciate all the good things mm-hmm. at least i think it's something along those lines <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know and, and i'm not sure if satoru himself maybe even completely understood that um <laughs> uh, i think he just to- very much envied the experience the feelings that people had in in the world he created mm. and from from it, uh, being like his like him's perspective, the process of life and death and the feelings and the, the emotions that they all experience was just so beautiful. And to him, I think that was perfection. 
and I don't necessarily think he was purposely making them imperfect, if you know what I mean. I think he, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what he set out to do when he created the world. He just wanted to create his own paradise. And I guess mm-hmm. to him, that ended up being a a world that changed. And, and I guess he, I guess he did place limits on it. Uh, right, a, a world that was opposite of his own, like that—that that was yeah. his paradise. Mm-hmm. Something that wasn't the norm for him. Precisely. Yeah, and 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 as we see in in his backstory, like he himself didn't really understand kind of like the reason why people mourned the dead, for example. Like initially, mm-hmm. at the very least, he didn't get like what why why are they acting that way? Like, mm-hmm. um. So yeah, it probably wasn't a conscious choice, but it is how it ended up because of him wanting to create a world that was so different from his own. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's, I, I loved getting to know all this because this, this was obviously huge information. Absolutely. It's, it, it, it explains everything like about the world, about the beholder, about Fushi's origins and everything. Like it's, it's incredible about the earthenware people and as well. Mm-hmm. I had speculated a lot about where the story could be going. And I feel like, I got some things right, but I got some things wrong. Uh, but I'm pretty satisfied with where we are in terms of Satoru and and who he truly was and mm. what his thought process uh, was as well. So I, I am pretty satisfied with this reveal and, and think Oima did a great job setting it all up. Yeah, yeah, she really did. <laughs> so... I, I like how he challenges Fushi to create a world without suffering. Right. Basically saying, I know you can do it. <laughs> and But it's kind of like the opposite of what the world he wanted to create. Mm-hmm. So it, it's funny to see him kind of give up on his dream. Well, he's not giving up his dream because he's, he's living his dream. Yeah. <laughs> but... It, it's like, okay, I'm done with my dream. You can have your dream now. <laughs> right, yeah. Really, because whatever happens after that like he he won't be affected by it anyway and that he he has really he is in the or at that point he is in the process of really truly achieving his dream yeah mm-hmm. so i think it's nice to, yeah. to hand it over to fushi in that way let fushi do what he wants with it and speaking on that i think as he's slowly losing his last memories of being the beholder you can kind of see in his face a bit of pride or or just you know looking on Fushi fondly almost as a as a parent looks on his child as he sees him grow and so for a brief moment in this story where we we've I think we've had our fair bad things to say about him <laughs> uh it feels like he's an actual parent to to Fushi right right <laughs> And I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so well done. A great end to this character. Right. Uh, we also found out that as long as you have... it, were, if, if Fushi were to have all of Saltoto's powers, he could defeat the Knockers whenever he wanted to. The mm. whole idea that, oh, they had lost was just a, a, a fun <laughs> little game that he played, I guess. <laughs> right. Was, that wouldn't be very interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was... That was a bit of a twist. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but uh, very early in the volume, he mentions, 
erasing memory damages someone's phi. Right. I don't know if we've ever heard that before. I wonder if that could play a part later on, meaning could Fushi potentially gain the power to manipulate someone's memories, um, but that requires changing that person's phi, and maybe that's a moral conundrum for him. Right. Uh, or if that's just a rule that we should just remember of this world. You know, It's not necessarily going to play a part in the story. It's just keep that in mind, why they can't do this, or that's just a thing, you know? I, right. I, I'm not sure. It just seems, it mm -hmm. seems, you know, a little offhanded, but also important to mention. Yeah. So I'm just keeping the back of my mind. Absolutely. And he also adds that it's the same as killing. Right. Which right. makes me wonder if, like, does that mean that a person whose memories you try to interfere with like, that person will just straight up die as a result of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I had pictured that you alter their memories and that person ceases to exist and that new person comes to be, like, almost in instantaneously. Like a personality change, kind of? Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. That kind of a thing. Could be. I suppose that could be, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea how drastic it would be. I mean, if you just... What if you would just erase a memory of someone eating a sandwich today, you know? <laughs> like, you know, okay, maybe in theory that's a different person, but how how, how different, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, I, yeah, I would like to see it be more, I guess, elaborated on now uh, in the future. Mm -hmm. hmm. We finally know the truth about the earthenware people, at least why they came to be their existence and everything. Precisely. Uh, not as in-depth as I probably would have liked, but it, it certainly was enough to, to keep me satisfied and, and to feel like that plot thread is more or less resolved, you know? Yeah, right. I, I'm, I'm content. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, guess I, I guess previously, before we had gotten to the modern-day arc, I had almost expected them to have a whole earthenware arc you know explaining and maybe even visiting a lost civilization of some kind mm. but at this point it, it's it's better than nothing and <laughs> i feel it it truly does uh justify their existence in a very interesting way yeah i almost makes me wonder if you could consider the earthenware people human i mean no, i'm not saying right. that mm. they're aliens or anything but maybe they don't have the same genetic makeup i feel like they have to be different genetically somehow yeah well because of the fact that only they can can see the the messages in, in the clay pots yeah very interesting absolutely mm. uh that's all i got then next let's talk about mizuha seeing her taking the trophies off the wall and replacing them with just a bunch of photos of her and her family i thought was very very beautiful uh, the proof of our love. Right. Uh, cheesy, but I'll allow it. <laughs> I will absolutely allow it from Mizuha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, because, yeah, it's proof of love, but it's also a way for her to kind of visualize and maintain her memories of her loved ones, and, or at least in this instance, her, her family specifically. And I like how that is very, very similar to the boy in Chapter 1, how he would also... Oh. visualize his loved ones huh. kind of in order to remember the good times as well. I didn't even compare that. 
and how, kind of also how in turn Fushi sort of does a similar thing with visualizing the people that he has lost and literally becoming them or physically at least becoming them. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I I liked the rhyme there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And in that same scene, she says that she finally feels normal, and that's great. You know? Yes, I, I like that for her. I love that. Mm. Finally, yeah. After the little time skip, I actually something I didn't notice on my first read through, but that I noticed today, which I'm very happy that I did. Was that Mizuha and Hana have matching feather earrings? Yeah. Now and that was so cute. I mean, obviously they had the the hairband feathers uh, before, mm-hmm. but and I think Mizuha still has it. Uh, but in addition to that, now they have the earrings. That's just so adorable. <laughs> right. And Mizuha is moving abroad to establish the Guardians' base outside of Yanome, mm-hmm. which I feel like that's something that's going to. Sp- be relevant in the future arc like somehow we'll see the, yeah. Guardian, the guardians group active around the globe kind of but um somehow mizuha's goodbye scene hit me extra hard on my second read through um f- for some reason i feel like usually it's the first time around that stuff like that hits harder but i don't know the, the second time around it I, I got more emotional reading it and and i think something that i love like a lot with it is that I feel like it, it implies quite strongly that the inheritance of Hayase's will has stopped. Oh. Based on how how she is acting and how she's talking to Fushi. I, I feel like hmm. Hayase's will... I mean, it's not a hard confirmation necessarily. Uh, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's a pretty strong indication, at the very least, that Mizuha doesn't have Hayase's will anymore. Uh, and I know, I think you brought up the speculation last time about that uh, reincarnation having ceased. Mm-hmm. And I think this scene gives more credit to that speculation. Interesting. And I also love how, like to see how Fushi is just completely comfortable around Mizuha in that moment. Even mm-hmm. after everything that they'd gone through in the previous volumes, like Fushi is just completely cool with her now, which is, yeah. I, I think, another thing that points toward her not having that that will of Hayase right now. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know if I go as far as to say she doesn't have the will of Hayase per se. I feel like because her Fi should be Hayase still in that reincarnation factor, I feel like it just, I mean, otherwise you just change your personality, right? Like you just change, change completely or whatever. Yeah. But in terms of reincarnation, I, I do think it's, it's gone based on what happened in the previous volume, although I, I could be wrong. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I totally agree with this being a sign that that's the case. Uh, but at the very least, she's able to move on or not be seemingly overly, uh, overly obsessed with him. That being said, moving abroad over, you know, overseas with the Guardians, was not on the things that I wanted to have happen to her. I'm not going to lie. Oh. <laughs> because the Guardians for a long time have been seen as somewhat antagonistic. And I know that hmm. the knocker that was kind of leading them and egging them on is not there currently. 
but who's to say that it doesn't come back? And also, I I just when you have a cult like that, it's it's hard to fully trust that their intentions are good. But I I'm hopeful that Mizuha would be a person who does lead that group to be good. So while when I while that wasn't something I wanted to have happen, I am hopeful that she can somehow change that group to be a force for good. Right. I I think she could turn the Guardians into something more like what it was in Kahaku's age, because mm-hmm. he he in my opinion anyway he led a a comparatively very good group of guardians compared to like obviously Hayase or the modern era up till now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's something we will see something more akin to that in the future. Mm-hmm. And I mean if the obsession with owning Fushi is finally gone and the reincarnation and all that is gone, then yeah, I have I have pretty pretty good feeling that's the case. Uh, right. But if it's not, then uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, even, even with, with Kahaku's case, even though he did have Hayase's will very strongly, he was still able to to have a good group of guardians, I'd say. Yeah, but because, I think it's because it was Kahaku, though, you know, like... Mm. I don't know. That's maybe true. But anyway, um, <laughs> I honestly expected, well, I don't want to, maybe expect is the wrong word. When they had that moment uh, outside the restaurant and she asked him to close his eyes, mm. I did think, oh my gosh, is she's going for the kiss there. Right. But she just made that, that instance to get away. Right rather impressively so <laughs> how she disappears like that I'll, I'll never know <laughs> yeah but i you know i think that's a sign that there there is some sort of uh, moving on from from fushi right um hmm. moving away to another country does kind of seem like you're cutting ties drastically oh you know like you know how some the, the the stereotype is that girls will cut their hair when they they're done with a <laughs> a boy or something like that uh-huh. a relationship <laughs> you know maybe this is an extreme but uh I, you know good for her for finding something that's good i just i just hope that or finding something that will that that she can feel accomplished in i hope right I, but i also worry or or i i hope that it doesn't lead to anything terrible i have actually i i feel like i got lots of faith in mizuha now that she is feeling normal and Mm -hmm. that she doesn't have a knocker inside of her like things are looking out for her i feel like and i think she can turn the guardians into something maybe even better than what kahaku was able to make them uh at this point so i don't know i'm I'm feeling very optimistic about it (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Uh, but I did like the okay thing. Like that was that whole interaction mm. was very cute. Right. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it was very well set up. Mm. Very well then. Moving on to Yuki Aoki next. This mad lad refused to have the knocker he drank be removed from his body. Man, uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't really think that be the case. I really thought that he <laughs> Satoru would have. Taking it out of him. And I, I guess he did try. Yeah, Right, right. He offered it and everything. Mm-hmm. Yugi's like, uh-uh. 
coexistence <laughs> yeah coexistence and you know what i think it's really funny because i actually realized i listened back to our previous episode earlier today uh to kind of refresh my mind on what we had talked about and mm-hmm. i believe we were we were both quite strongly under the impression that whether or not there had been an knocker in the water he would have had it removed no doubt like yeah i think we were both quite <laughs> believing that quite strongly i know i know i was pretty adamant about it yeah and i think i was too however you did bring up sort of jokingly, basically the exact thing that ended up ha- happening in this volume. Uh, <laughs> last time we talked, you, you, you said like, oh, maybe he'll keep it in there because he wants to, you know, become friends with them. Uh, that, that's, you, you pretty much said that, that exact thing. Well, there you go. Uh, and we just laughed at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love when that happens because <laughs> it's not the first time. <laughs> this is not the first, yeah, it's not the first time. Yeah. And I'm sure it won't be the last. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but it it was great, like, seeing, like, just his really strong belief in that, knock, that knockers are really no different from humans in that some are bad, but most are good. Yeah. And, and yeah, his, his dream about enlightening the world about all of this. He really did a lot from, well, making sure the occult research, research club stayed afloat in school to starting to enlighten the world about the knockers and, and, and like, in a very positive way way and like trying to Mm -hmm. turn them into or like make them not appear like the villains that they have historically been known as or at least mythologically been known as or whatever um and then supposedly he created a a cream that prevents knockers from invading the human body and stuff like that like he 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 worked a lot and became an important figure both like worldwide uh when it comes to knocker research yeah i i thought it was so cool to see him recognized as a leading knocker researcher it, it, yeah. you know it wasn't just some crazy occult kid he actually <laughs> had an incredible career like right. way to go it's, it's amazing and i love like the small beginnings of just like the school club that's how it started and yeah. then became this huge thing throughout his life it's amazing so you mentioned the cream that prevents knockers from invading the body which is a great invention but does that defeat the purpose of coexistence? It is, mm. I guess it keeps the it, it keeps the antagonistic knockers out, but I thought he wanted to people believe that they're not all bad and that we can mm. live with them. Which I mean we they do do that in the end, at least with the a knocker who reveals herself and and things like that, but mm. uh, I I just wonder why are we why? Why did we need to prevent more mm. knockers? Like I, I'm not quite sure what the correlation between coexistence and this cream would be. Right. I, I thought, or because I, I, I did also find it a little bit strange at first when I read it, and I, I guess maybe it still is. But uh, the way I kind of tried to justify it is that he made the cream for, or he, or whatever, he had someone made the cream, or, or whatever, however it works, um, for the humans who just would choose to not have a knocker invade their body. But isn't that racist? But, <laughs> <laughs> Wrong word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I, I like... Because, I mean, ultimately, it should be up to the individual person to decide whether they want a knocker to go into them or, or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's... I, I think that cream is, is, is Yuki respecting each human's choice like that mm-hmm. because it is an, an, an invasion of privacy and for those who wouldn't want that 
then they could use the cream. But for everyone else, then yeah, go coexistence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I try to justify it anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's a it, it's a fair point, or at least I, I can buy it. It just does seem a little contradictory in, in what he was trying to do. But it makes sense to me who doesn't, you know, really like the idea of knockers being in a person's body. Mm. But I, I understand what the book was saying, that they're not all bad. The, the, the big reason why I have an issue with this or I, I, I'm unsure what to think of it is that we have the case of Nono, mm -hmm. who is this completely innocent knocker, you know, I don't know it seeing her live such a great wonderful life makes me wonder okay well then should all knockers be allowed to do that as well <laughs> i don't mm. know I, I don't know i i still don't know what to think about knockers i mean yeah right and i think that's kind of the, I, that's probably still the intention right uh -huh. for the reader to be a little bit on the fence about some of these knocker related stuff because it is a very strange phenomenon or, or, or thing like it, it it really is but i guess another way that one can could justify it is that yuki is giving the knockers the um the option of living in animals instead of humans if they so desire like uh but but, but also the fact that all humans won't be using that cream probably like not 100 percent of humans would maybe yeah so there would there would still be humans for them to occupy as well as probably most animals if they wanted to if an, if an knocker wanted to do that now that being said, in that same section of of the manga, it seems the cream is somewhat obsolete. Now that they have the the micro these microchips that handle knocker control, right? Precisely. So that's an interesting concept, and may, and truthfully, I think that's why this hand cream was or this hand cream this cream was established is that is is to tie it into this this microchip technology. You know, maybe the good intentions of Yuki are being manipulated by this potentially malevolent company. But anyway, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's just me kind of thinking ahead. Uh, right. No, but I, I, I think we may have some similar thoughts on that to talk about in a bit. Mm -hmm. I think the last thing I want to say in the plot summary, we mentioned that Yuki confessed, finally confessed to Mizaha, but was rejected. Mm -hmm. So the whole dream of them having any sort of relationship was kind of <laughs> ended there. Right. And to be fair, or at least when in the moment when I read that scene, it wasn't particularly surprising to see him be rejected by her. No, not at all. I mean, I, 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 I didn't, I would have been surprised if she accepted uh, <laughs> yeah. anything like that. That would have been quite quite shocking uh -huh. but there were a couple moments earlier in this arc where i certainly thought wait could there be something here uh -huh. you know right but it you know it either it it was at some point but not anymore or it just never was uh i could totally see her just being like i don't want that kind of relationship stuff i just want friendship that's all i want uh-huh uh but you know he took that hard and and he still carries those feelings with him even in into his later teenager years. I just hope he eventually moved on and, and maybe had yeah. a family. It's his choice. It's his choice. Uh, of course it uh, is. You know, I, mean, I feel like 
it's reasonable to assume that he he did move on. I think most most people do move on from their high school crush or uh-huh. junior high school crushes even. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, we don't know f- really for sure like what his family life was like. Does he have descendants that we will meet in the future? Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm very curious about descendants. Right. If we get any. I mean, plus it seemed like the Aoki family were descendants of the Uralis or Tasty Peach family, right? I mean, that's what we had speculated. We never really got confirmation, did we? Right. There, there, yeah, I don't. There isn't any hard spe- confirmation, but I feel like it's very fair to speculate on it, considering mm-hmm. that Aiko looks very similar to the princess of of Uralis, and the fact that they're. Their dad, who I think we've only seen in like video chats and photos, he has like mm-hmm. the bonchine hairdo, almost kind yeah, of. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I do, I do feel For like sure. they they've got to be descendants, even even if it's never confirmed, they are <laughs> that. Right. Uh, so to see that line continue even further into the future would be especially nice. I agree. I think that's. All for me on Yuki. I don't know if you have anything else. Just a very brief little thing, or just like a point, really, in in how, according to Yuki himself, and I do agree with him, his long and natural life is proof of peace between humans and knockers, at the very least in the modern age. Mm. So I, I thought it was really nice to see that dream of his actually come to fruition in, in, in that sense. That's a good point. And he did. He did mention that to Fushi, precisely as well. Mm-hmm. So it was was very beautifully done, I think. Mm-hmm. But then next, let's talk about No No the Knocker. Oh my gosh, so great! Yes, right. A little good-hearted Knocker who was fully merged with the human body of a child named Michi, which we saw die and came come back to life in a previous volume. And so initially, Nono was under orders from, well, I guess the other knocker to rid the world of pain and suffering. Um, but Michi came to the understanding that the other feelings that come with being alive, like all the positive things, they make life worth living despite all the bad things. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that this message is delivered in this volume after having witnessed some really very real mental struggles throughout this this specific story arc, especially. And here we see how even someone whose intent was to eliminate life, mm-hmm. how even they could see beyond all the cruelness and, and find the beauty of life and, and find a will to live. I, I, I think that's fantastically beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It do, it does make me hopeful for the future with the knockers. Mm-hmm. I I still wonder about. I guess maybe knockers can still be the antagonist. It's just maybe knockers joining humanity against the evil knockers. But right, precisely. But yeah, I I love this story of of Nono and how she was just really just doing what she was told to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Attack. I think she attacked Renryo first or something like that. Uh, right. Apparently, yeah, she was one of, w- one of all of those knockers. <laughs> yeah. That was lame. Died immediately. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, then finally got to experience yeah, life. So that was 
That was great for her. Yeah. And yeah, we get to see how Nono helped Yuki in his endeavors to enlighten the world about the knockers and everything. And, and she will even reveal her, well, well herself uh, publicly as a knocker. And I, well, I, th- I just think that's imp- incredibly brave. Yeah. Of her to have done that, like being the first knocker to come out in that kind of a way. And um, I would not be surprised if, you know, by the time when we will pick up in the story in the next volume, that a lot of other knockers will have been inspired by her having taken that first step. And so a lot of other knockers would have probably done the same thing. Uh, and uh, followed mm-hmm. in her footsteps, kind of coming out like that. I I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, it was it was great to see her kind of become an internet personality, <laughs> internet celebrity almost. That too. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I love her story, but I also want to talk about the knockers in general here, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. When she's first kind of going over her her thought process and and reasons for being here. She mentioned what the head knockers, Hayase knockers plan was that they wanted coexistence. Like that was their plan. Mm. It, it was to steadily keep it like this and then await something. But that's all that Nono heard. Um, and she's not sure what exactly their mission is and even if they've even if they've accomplished it Mm. so very curious what that could mean like maybe there is something further and they even mentioned the part where the knocker in musaha's father said that you're still in the midst of things or that they're still in the midst of things so their plan is pretty widespread and and very detailed at this point so what that could be, I mean, it's got to happen in, in the future, right? Like, the future that we're uh-huh. seeing has to be part of that plan, right? I'm, I'm sure. Like, yeah, the knockers aren't done. Like, they, they are the main antagonist of the story, I feel like. Yeah. It's just not, maybe not everybody is bad. Uh, precisely. Or, or, or we, for sure we know that not everybody is just vehement on destroying mankind. Uh-huh. Or, or I should say freeing mankind. <laughs> freeing uh, freeing the five from their vessels. <laughs> from their uh, right. prisons. Precisely. I wouldn't be surprised if if we see like a team up of evil humans and evil knockers kind of oh. in the future arc. I think that'd be nice. That'd be nice. I mean that's I mean, Petter, that's kinda what the guardians were with the knockers. I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, right, precisely, yeah. Like, with, with Hayase and, and her knocker, yeah, precisely. I mean, specifically Hayase. I don't know if it was really that like that after her. Oh, it totally was. I mean, they. we just got done with the Guardians having their old secret cult thing with the with the knockers oh, and, right. and Fushi. Like, that was... Okay, sorry. Yeah, totally. okay. So, yeah, the present day, the present day ones and Hayase. But between there, I feel like there was a decent amount of time where they weren't... That like the guardians weren't specifically antagonistic. Uh, I mean, I, I won't say yeah specifically, but I I don't think they were had the greatest of intentions. If I'm being completely honest, even <laughs> even with Kahaku, yeah. I think Kahaku had to 
fight them back quite a bit. Because um, while he may Fair. have been the head, Fair. there was still like a council mm. of guys, you know, of, of their people that were trying to pull the strings and whatnot. Um, right. Right. So just saying. But, <laughs> no, that, that that is fair. But that the way fair. the way things end, I guess going back to Misaha <laughs> and her situation, the way things end, right. there is more hope that the Guardians can be changed completely and be led in a different direction. So maybe these yes. theoretical evil humans that team up with the Knockers could be a, a different group entirely. Um, right. But I, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that the Guardians are completely absolved of any. Uh, doubt. <laughs> in my right. Opinion. Fair. That's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I I am super excited to see where we go from here. To be honest. Oh yeah. With the knockers. Totally. Like yeah, it could really go anywhere. And especially, I I especially love how complicated the knockers have gotten. I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. And kind of the same kind of complexity as humans, really. Like. Yeah. We we can. Tr- trust them no less than humans or vice versa like it's just i guess i guess a knocker has more potential to be to be dangerous than a human because they are stronger yeah and i guess that's why they are well why why one might have more reason to fear them i suppose yeah maybe and i'm not i'm not gonna speak for oima here but potentially maybe she wrote herself into a, a difficult situation with making the knocker seem so antagonist and, and purposely evil um you know, like one-sided like black and white if you will but then we get to this this arc and she totally starts changing that idea especially in the later volumes well i think it makes sense that it would change though because it wasn't until the present day that they started to live within bodies and actually experience the emotions of life oh i know I, what what I'm saying is that for the reader, at least for me, it's been it's been difficult to accept that they are deeper than just than just evil, you know. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. Because they have been deceptive and and so uh, against mm. Fushi throughout the entire story to to get to the point where now we're really getting into these complex individuals that oh my gosh they actually have human tendencies and, and things like that i mean i guess we've already know, always known they've been five so it, it it makes sense but it, it's just to be able to accept that has taken a while and while i'm still a bit confused i'm not as confused as i was or conflicted as i was uh, when it was all happening in like a couple volumes ago you know uh, right totally yeah it, it has been at times a rather confusing arc this yeah, modern day absolutely. arc uh <laughs> but but i i love this turnaround kind of for for the knockers and for us to yeah to see just how different they can be yeah but is that all on the knockers and no no for now yes then moving into some smaller characters let's start a little bit with march i <laughs> i like how old march is drawn so very similarly to Child March, it just kind of added some wrinkles, kind of, but like it was more or less the same. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Uh, Why did she have to do March dirty like that? She being Oima. Oh, like uh, she didn't become a mommy. What? I know. I, I, I know. I mean, look, I guess you got to save some dreams 
for the, for this character. But I mean, she spent a whole life, never became <laughs> one, and it's uh, there's some. I mean, it's yeah. funny, but also just kind of sad. <laughs> uh, it is. It is very sad. Um, but I think I I I feel like it's kind of par for the core with with the the story to just keep us wanting. Yeah. And and I feel, or at least for a while, I've felt pretty strongly that with March specifically, for her to reach her dream or achieve her dream of becoming a mother, uh-huh. it will happen. It absolutely has got to happen. However, I, I think she's going to wait as long as she can to give us that satisfaction. Yeah, I, I agree. That, that, that needs to be towards the end type of a thing. Uh-huh. I think. And it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> I'm I sure hope so. I can already. I hope so. Like, it's, it's gotta be. <laughs> uh, but yes, yes. Next, let's talk a little bit about Messar. Or I really only have one thing, but it was a, just a sweet little thing about seeing how it looks. Like he's discovered a bit of an interest for childcare, perhaps, somehow. You think? We see him being being very nice with these little girls on True. at least two different occasions in this book, which I don't think we had seen anything like that from him before. And I just, I, I like to view this as him kind of having a change of, of character to, to a degree, to where he's taking responsibility for something and uh, making a difference in, in a meaningful way somehow, mm-hmm. in a way that he hasn't, well, to, to my knowledge, he hasn't really been doing before. That's fair. I mean, it was funny just to see these little girls beating him up with the, the knocker, <laughs> right? Toys, or whatever. <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't have anything on him, but I since you brought him up, I do like the line where, uh, they're all agreeing with March, and he's like, "I agree with me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> There's a lot uh, of funny moments in this volume. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. But uh, I don't have any notes for any other characters, so take it away with whatever you got left. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll uh, start with Echo. I think mm. it's nice to see that she can say simple words, or, or I guess I should say she can type simple words, understand them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very nice to see that, that progress, which I'm sure <laughs> is it, very hard for her. And what we theorize is it's someone with entirely different genetic makeup, I, I'm sure that Right. That must be very difficult. Maybe she doesn't even have the vocal cords to, to do that. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but very, very good for her. Um, oh yeah. It'll be cool to see if she can, in the future, you know, interact in some way. Maybe she's mute, uh, like Oima's Oima's uh, previous. Where I guess that was deaf, right? Uh, yeah. She. Yeah. She was hard of hearing. Hard of uh, hearing. But but still. Sign language is obviously still useful in both of those cases. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it would be cool if if the gang would all learn sign language so that they can communicate with Echo. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think it'd be great. <laughs> um, I know she didn't have a huge role in this arc, uh, but Sumika, I think she's very sweet and and cute, but accepting <laughs> and a great motherly older sister. I mean, she had connections to Satoru and Nono. I I, yeah. I think in that sense it, I I like what she provided in in being that connection that was important for both of them. Absolutely, yeah, she's great. And I guess she's part of the reason why Nono 
decided to change or or right. realize mm-hmm. that wait what am I doing you know I should maybe life's not too bad right I think she had a great effect on no no in that way yeah yeah but she didn't know that Satoru's favorite color was black <laughs> yeah how <laughs> I don't come on <laughs> uh, uh, it is it is interesting quite quite the progress that we have with in that case because she's calling Fushi about it. Yeah, right, precisely. That that was very nice to see. She wasn't very kind to him even in this volume previously. Yeah. I, I guess after the three or four year time skip the thing things got better. <laughs> yeah, they're more than friends now. I mean wait what? No, I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's a ship I did not see coming. <laughs> no, it's no I'm not shipping it. I'm not shipping it. <laughs> Um, now the person I do ship ship Fushi with very strongly, uh, Tonati. I loved her on on the moped. That look was ah, ah, so was great. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> um, I I I love her trying to like order beer. Oh waiter! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure she said like something like "smiwasen," but I I like the <laughs> the English change. It's it's so funny. Like it's very, very it's very fun. Very <laughs> playful. Uh-huh. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Although tonight's back to being the fourteen or fifteen year old self again. It's like, gosh dang it! <laughs> uh, right, yeah, it's very. Why can't we yeah. keep her as an adult, please? Right. <laughs> well, that being said, we haven't seen them in the future, so I guess I'll hold my judgment. Right. I mean, yeah, it would be fun to see when 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 they all come back in the future to see some new ages for all of them or a lot of them. I agree. At least. Yeah, at least a lot be, of them. That would be fresh. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I think that's all I have for now. Alrighty. Then moving into our predictions here. And I want I want to start by addressing the massive glowing triangle in the sky at the end of the book. Ah yes. By the end of the book, do you mean the inside of the volume or the back of the volume? Because it's there too in all of the other volumes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Blow your mind, didn't I? You kind of just <laughs> did. Whoa, dude. Wait, is that in on back of the back of every volume? I think the first volume it's a little different and it has hands on them. If you look at the first volume, I I've lent it out to my girlfriend right now, so I can't look at it right now. Oh no. Oh, um this is why you should date. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> No. <laughs> let me let me grab the volume real quick. Mm. Yeah, so I have the I have the first volume and it's the triangle that's around this this star thing it is hands like yeah. Well, arms and hands. Right, yeah, I see that on the back of volume 7 here. Oh, okay. So eventually she changed it at some point. Right. I don't know if it's does it coincide with the arc? Maybe was there another change, do you see? Because I don't have all the physical volumes. I'm, I'm checking. So, volume 12 still had the hands and arms. Uh, okay. Let's see. Even volume 13 still had that. Uh, Interesting. So, four, 14 was the first one with the new design. Interesting. So, that was one volume into the modern arc. That's interesting. Sorry, I'm not at my mic right now. I'm going to go <laughs> sit back down <laughs> so that you... I can be heard more easily. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So 14 is where it started. I wonder if that's significant or if it 
it's just like a retcon kind of deal. I'm thinking it's got to be a retcon, or maybe she decided she wanted to use that symbol uh-huh. and just change it that way. Because I, I, can't, I can't see how you can truly justify it um, or, or explain uh-huh. it, you know? Yeah. Why it would have changed there in, in, in such a, a minor detail in the back of a volume. Precisely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm also going to choose to view it that way for now, unless we learn anything else, then that seems reasonable to think. Yeah, but kind of cool, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe that implies that we're in in game, or maybe she had big plans for that. I, I have no idea. No idea. Or, or it's just a, or it's just a, you know, a cool coincidence. Uh, right. Well, first of all, thank you for bringing it to my attention that that icon or Im- images has been at the back of basically every book, even though it's another version on some. But still, uh, that is really awesome funny thing is i i when i saw it i was like i've seen this before where have i seen it and then when i saw it in the back i was like oh yeah yeah that's great uh but uh my thought and i guess i i can still stick to this uh yeah I'm but sure. I, don't, I don't know for sure of course well well i, I guess my, my very first thought was that this is just some futuristic technology that they're doing and maybe it's just a normal thing to see in the sky in this day and age Mm. that was my first thought when i saw it Mm -hmm. but then on my reread well it seems to be like it it just appeared in the sky right then and there because of fuji's reaction like seeing it and being like i better go oh okay okay it's a signal of some kind that is not normal i don't think And what, I mean, I, I guess it could still be some kind of technology thing that, mm-hmm. that I was thinking it could be initially. But what I'm actually kind of choosing to think now, and maybe this is a, maybe it's a stretch, but I'm kind of thinking it could be another one of the beholders that's, Ooh, coming, that's to, cool. coming to visit, kind of. Uh-huh. Perhaps one who got curious about this world and... And now that Satoru is gone, they are able to observe it, perhaps. Like, maybe they couldn't before or something. I like that. I guess if that is the case, and if, if as we were talking about at the start of the episode, about Fushi, about how he may or may not have missed out on that beholder power, mm-hmm. if, it was, if it needs to be given to him, then maybe he could be given it by this guy instead. But that that's also a bit of a stretch, perhaps. But but either way, mm-hmm. I I guess my my big prediction is that this is another one of those beholder creatures, cool god god things. Yeah, I like it. My predictions are kind of before the that idea that we could get more beholder people. That really didn't come to my mind as as a possibility until the discussion. Gotcha. Uh, but I do like that, and I think you know I I'd be down to see that. Mm. Uh, but my the two ideas I had were spaceship. <laughs> Ooh. Got hey, I mean, hey, kind yeah. of a yeah, UFO style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, but I guess it wouldn't be necessarily UFO. It, it would probably be the uh, Kaibata the company. Like, have a, it has a huge mm. ship or something like that. Right. Could be. Or it's a portal. Portal. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so we see Fushi falling down, which the doll that I assume is Fushi falling down in the, the preview pages. Yeah. And he lands in the pit. And mm-hmm. I wonder if he fell from that portal. Ooh. Um, in, uh-huh. Into the world. Um, oh. And that's who's like, okay, I better go because he's getting up after falling down. <laughs> that's a fair point as well. Huh. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess it doesn't have to be a portal if he's falling from it. It could still, I guess, be a ship or some sort of vessel. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, either way, uh, I'm excited to see what this this thing could be. <laughs> yeah, right. And, like, I'm even more excited to find out now that, that, that I know that it's been on the back of the volumes all this time. <laughs> One theory I throw out there as to why the arms and hands changed to what they did, hmm? maybe it's a passing of the torch of who the caretaker of the world is now, technically speaking. Um, but again, it did it in vol- volume 14. and hmm. I-, I mean, I think the men in black had become Satoru at that point. Obviously, he hadn't completely transitioned, but he was Satoru, right? Actually, I, I, don't, I don't remember if the character or that, or that shape was introduced in volume 13 or 14. I don't remember. Yeah. But, um... Well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the that's the indication. Maybe just maybe. a thought that came into my head right now. <laughs> could be, could be. Uh, either way, um, should be fun to see with that. I mean, I have so much faith that this is going to be a, a fun arc. I'm really excited. Oh yes, I mean, this is already my favorite shonen ever. Like, I I have only high hopes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and yeah. For for this story that started out as like a semi historical, I mean it's not historical, but it was set in like a historical, historic inspired era kind of. For that story to now turn into like a science fiction story, like it's such a fun transition and such a unique thing to do with a story like this. Yes, I love it. So, just for clarification, you are saying this is you like it more than Attack on Titan. I do. I I believe it surpassed Attack on Titan by volume sixteen for me fair enough fair enough yeah so much potential with this one so mm-hmm. much potential with this so coming arc oh yes <laughs> uh so it seems like kaibata is going to be the mysterious evil corporation uh they were mentioned in yuki's obituary mm-hmm. um i don't know if he had any sort of help in f- funding them i i feel like they came along behind his coattails right so I don't think he would have been like, you know, the founder or anything like that. But I, I can't help but wonder, and I know you're more optimistic about it than I am. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if Mizuha and the Guardians could have been the source of this Kaibata thing. Hmm. Um, now, Kaibata sounds like a, uh, oh gosh, Yomon? Yomon? The, 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 the Japan equivalent. What was it? What was it uh, Yanome. Yanome. Um, a Yanome company. But I guess you never know. And, and Mizaha would have been overseas, but I guess they she could have still chosen a, or they could have still chosen a hmm. Yanome-sounding name. But uh, either way, uh, that's one side of it. Or I could also see, on a more positive note, maybe them working against that company for 
whatever reason. Right. I mean, that's the dream. Or and, and because I, I'm also getting the vibe that Kaibara Cybernetics Corporation is going to be antagonistic in some sense. It just yeah seems that way. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's not a strong prediction, but a thought that came to my mind is that maybe it's like that this Kaibara Cybernetics Corporation came out of the Church of Bennett somehow. Oh yeah, Church of Bennett. Forgot about them. Because they've also been an antagonistic group before, obviously. And yeah, I, I think it would be fun to see them become more relevant again because they were kind of in the background or barely in the picture at all during this most recent arc. Yeah, they were just mentioned here and there, mm-hmm. more so like historically speaking. Right. <laughs> um. So maybe that could be fun. I agree. I, I guess talking about Kai Kaibata Cybernetics in the the preview for the next arc. It says that we will grant your every wish. Yeah. Um, that that does seem kind of post-apocalyptic, future, uh, scary, <laughs> future yeah. horror, future dystopia, if you will. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know. I, something that just came to mind really randomly, almost, or it seems like. Uh huh. What if Fushi made this corporation? <laughs> because isn't his dream to make other people's dreams come true? Yeah. Oh, but dude, but dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your, gonna take your prediction just now and twist it. Uh huh. What if it is the Guardians because they want to make Fushi, Fushi's dream come true and they've just gone too far? Oh. Um. Maybe. Maybe. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, I keep trying to twist them at the wrong. I'm sorry. It's just, <laughs> I just—it's hard for me to trust them again completely. Although I do trust Mizuha, I think I think she she has really changed. But yes, in Mizuha we trust. <laughs> but maybe uh, some other nefarious people get their hands on the guardians or something like that. Uh, anyway, true, true. <laughs> uh, that it, it is an idea or. A concept that Fushi should believe in is that making everyone's dr- dreams come true. Uh-huh. And then maybe the one of the themes of this next arc, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, is that making everyone's dreams come true maybe isn't the utopia that Fushi has dreamed about Yeah. in some way. I like you know? that. I like that. Right, because, I mean, it's not, I, I don't necessarily believe that Fushi founded this corporation no. I, it's not something that i actually believe in but i couldn't help but see the similarity there and right and i guess it is fun to point that out but and i well yeah this whole this piece of the conversation came out of that but yeah it would be nice to see i guess the dark side of fushi's mindset i guess represented through this corporation right and and i think that and, and i say this in that I, I feel the corporation could be a sign or could be could be an example of that being taken too far. Not mm-hmm. that not necessarily that Fushi himself caused it, but now he's seeing what his dream could potentially be like mm. and maybe the pitfalls of it. And now he has to fight back against it or learn some other lesson or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something shown any. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, we already talked about Will Fushi obtain the powers of the beholder. We talked about that. Um We've also talked about the knockers potentially teaming up with good guys and even bad guys. I feel like Nono can come back. Obviously not in the same body, unless I guess Fushi maybe gives her that body again. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure how that works. It probably, oh, yeah. probably not possible with a knocker. It would have to be a, a phi, a knockerless phi, right? 
But we know that knockers keep their memories of when they come to Earth as knockers. So it stands to reason that if Nona were to come back in some shape or form, she would still have her memories of uh, being a benevolent knocker. And I think that could be nice if she's on their side and and still around. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm pretty sure it had to be a different body or a different person altogether. Assuming Michi's Phi has gone to paradise... Uh-huh. If Fushi would just create the body, which he would he could do, then right. that knocker could probably inhabit it, right? Well, I, I guess. I'm just not sure how, if the body needs to be alive at first, which requires the phi, and then hmm. the knocker can go into it and inhabit it. Ah, uh, fair. You know what I fair. Mean? I guess we don't know for sure that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm, but, I mean, look, if, if Fushi can still keep no no around yeah awesome let's let's <laughs> let's make it happen <laughs> yeah right i also wonder if because we know that knockers can heal their wounds really quickly right ah uh, i feel like a power like that might also be able to mean that they may not have to age to old age and die of old age if they if they don't want to maybe maybe but no no certainly does age right from what we see. And I was thinking maybe that's a choice. Because Could be. she wants to embrace humanity kind of in, in a way. And like yeah. live as a human. And so maybe that's something that she chose to do. I definitely like that. And I kind of wish it was a choice that Fushi would make. <laughs> <laughs> it, seeing him as as young self this entire time. <laughs> I I mean, look, it's, it's great to have a familiarity with this form. But I also kind of want to see him... <laughs> Grow up a little. <laughs> Grow up a little. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're so immature. <laughs> uh, uh, no, yeah. I get you. I get you. <laughs> so, I if you couldn't tell, I really like Nono's part in this volume, and mm, mm. and I think I think it'd be a shame if we don't have this benevolent knocker around for longer. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to see more of her, and I'd love to see more just good guy knockers on our protagonist's side. Um, yeah, and like, that'd be nice. For her to not be the only one and for, yeah, to see a, a bunch of them because there would be, or there should be a bunch, I feel like. Uh, yeah, that, that could I agree. That could potentially join them. Mm-hmm. I have one more prediction slash desire. Shoot. I've been pretty certain, particularly with this arc, that we would get some sort of romance it was kind of teased uh back with in in bond's arc you know mm. hey <laughs> y- you should really experience love at some point things like that but then it was really teased in this one with mizuha and all the complicated feelings going there and then for particularly for me tonari kind of <laughs> getting in a in a in a fluster a, a couple of times right um and i i was kind of hopeful the arc would end with, you know, Fushi actually getting into romance and, and maybe having a family, and that's how we get into the future arc. But clearly that is not the case. Uh-huh. And we're really not making any progress in that in that realm. And I'm not saying <laughs> the Tanati ship has has sunk. It, it has it's just been delayed quite a bit, in my opinion. Uh, but I am still hopeful. I want it so bad. Uh huh. Um, and I and I feel like that's such a 
a really human emotion that I would love Fushi to understand and fully mm-hmm. come to grips with. Yeah. I, but I also worry that, not saying future, love is dead in the future. Not saying that. <laughs> what I am saying is, is that, is it possible to have that be a focus when it seems like this future is more dystopian and, and maybe not really a place where you can have these romantic, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I am a tad disappointed that the romance has seemed to end uh, versus mm. grow. Fair. Right. Yeah. Like this volume didn't really delve into it at all. Nah. I don't think necessarily that we should give up hope on the next arc here because uh-huh. ultimately we don't know much about it really. Right. No, we don't uh, like right. barely yeah. anything. Uh, so I, I, th- I still think, you know, there, there could be room for, for some romance there. Uh, and I, I'm with you in hoping that, there will be. Yeah. And it, I had also expected, like, some romance here, I guess, in, in, in the modern age, after the three three to four year time skip. Mm-hmm. But alas, there was none. Nope. It's still a mystery to him. Indeed. But all in due time. <laughs> I mean... Uh, maybe. I don't know. He, he, just, he just went to school in this most recent arc. Like, yeah, I guess. I guess <laughs> you know, one thing at a time. And now he's a doll, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. A love doll? No, stop. Oh, no. Uh, or, oh, yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, exciting. <laughs> Woohoo. This, I mean... All of that aside, it is it is very exciting, uh, and <laughs> absolutely. Volume twenty cannot come soon enough. Oh, I can't wait! I I feel like this volume, like most volumes really of the series, once again reminded me of just how much I really really love this series. Yeah. Uh, maybe it even did it even more than some of the other volumes have, as I think we said before. Like it is one of the stronger volumes probably uh, of the series. Yeah. I agree. Just so charming and exciting and fun and and tragic and I don't know, it's got it all. Yeah. I will admit the modern day arc is not my favorite of the arcs we've had, but I do feel like it finished off strong and if you can get through the, the confusion and maybe the slower pace of it all, I, I really think you have a fantastic arc here. And the ending I think pulls off a a, a wonderful reveal. And leads to a great, great cliffhanger for the next uh, arc. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, because now we know for sure we are through, we are done with the modern day arc. Like, <laughs> we, last time we were kind of talking about volume 18 as an arc ender, which I guess in a way it was, but I feel like it wasn't complete until this volume. Absolutely. Uh, this volume really kind of tied it all together really neatly. Yep. And it, it really made me love the modern, day arc, the modern day arc even more than I already did. And I already loved it a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> but I guess with all that said, I suppose we are done for this episode. Indeed. 
Then, if you enjoy our content, you can follow us on Twitter at Umami Manga, and it would be lovely if you'd like to support us by rating our show on the podcast platforms and subscribing to our channel, Umami Manga, on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. We'll talk about Volume 20. Bye-bye. See you in the future. start by addressing the massive glowing triangle in the sky at the end of the book which wait sorry sorry Shino is Shino wants to talk about the massive glowing triangle in the sky as well I think she does (laughs) it's a it's a sign from cat land cat planet